I tell the story and you make choices in the story. Could he change her to good? Hmm. Well, there'd be penalties to her experience if she acted out of alignment. I am the world. Speak, or I shall smite thee with my mighty blade. Smite thee with my mighty blade? Shut up. You are magic, mere illusion. I am science, logic, and the truth. Just put me in the stupid game now. I can cast any of these, right? On the list? Yes. Alrighty. Shouldn't there be a board or some pieces or something to Jenga? No, no. This is a role-playing game. It takes place entirely in our collective imagination. <laughs> I am victorious. Hello and welcome to the Masters of Adventure podcast. I don't even know what episode number we're on anymore. Uh, 12, 12, apparently. <laughs> Thank 12, you. lucky number 12. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't heard our podcast before, this is a podcast all about adventure design and writing and publishing and breaking into the role-playing game industry, or just being a really good dungeon master slash game master, I guess. Uh, my name is Nick Burnham, and with me as always is my amazing co-host, Mr. Tom Lichty. How are you? It's been Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, I was trying to think of how we could uh, like make an excuse of why we've been gone for so long, and I was thinking maybe <laughs> we like got sucked into the cyberspace. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I was watching Freakazoid. Have you ever watched that before? I've never seen a whole episode of that show. I yeah, I was. <laughs> the beginning of that show was he gets sucked into cyberspace because he's on the computer too much, and I was like, maybe that's what happened to me and Nick for six months when we finally <laughs> got out. We're back though. We made a bag just to give you the spicy yeah. podcast. We recorded like six other episodes in that other dimension, but we can only record this one here. So and they all got five star reviews on iTunes yeah. and made us popular. wildly famous. Exactly. Also, do you think uh, we would get in trouble if we replaced our normal intro music with Boys Are Back in Town? <laughs> I, I don't think enough people listen to this for us to uh, yeah take trouble, that so <laughs> let's do it <laughs> unless there's some really nasty copyright people out there I think we could do that for sure just trying um, to get the little guy down <laughs> yeah so, and we're removing the rest of your episodes that no one listened to from iTunes so yeah get him out of here <laughs> sorry Ashton <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, Ashton and and uh, Eric have been doing pretty well on their podcast I know for, for a few it's months. out all you the know? time. Well, yeah. I know they've just got so much to talk about, though, because that game's mm-hmm. always moving around. Mm-hmm. Overwatch League uh, cleared up or finished up a few couple of months ago now, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. Seems like it just finished, but yeah, those have been fun to listen to. Um, you guys should definitely listen to the the Mecha Cast if you're into Overwatch. And uh, yeah, for us, there's been a lot of life stuff happening this year. So, what have you been up to? Gaming, okay, so since the last time we <laughs> met, uh, my wife and I, April. my wife and I, took a, our finally took our honeymoon, went to Europe, mm-hmm. uh, and that was about the most inspirational thing ever. You should definitely try that out if you're feeling uninspired. Just go to Europe; it's crazy. <laughs> um, That's awesome. Yeah, it's so we went to Europe. Uh, um, we stayed at home for a while, My and then actually we moved from Arkansas all the way up to, we're now in Bemidji, Minnesota, which is about an hour away from Canada, so we are up in the cold north in the Yukon, <laughs> and uh, I am starting grad school to be uh, a teacher, which is nice. Yeah. 
and I'm working out of school now. And tomorrow is the inaugural D and D club meeting, which I'm very excited about. Oh, that's awesome! We've got like way too many people. Twelve people want to play. <laughs> that's too many people. Are you <laughs> running the club or? Yeah, I'm DMing twelve kids. Wow, that's too many kids. <laughs> that is way too many. But that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so I'm starting to. I don't know how well it's going to go. I'm going to start a GoFundMe to see if they can some stuff okay i can buy some stuff because i want to get the school to have they don't have this is the after school program there's one after school program and it is D&D it? Club. wow yeah there's none so i'm gonna write up a sap story and see if people will uh a nice tearjerker see if i can get some uh, <laughs> some beneficent nerds out there to send me some money uh, so i can buy these kids some chess sex maps and some definitely. dice uh, uh but yeah that's uh been the bulk of it played a little bit of 4e with you i'm hoping mm-hmm. to play some more this weekend i am always busy so i kind of <laughs> think that i don't play as much as i want to That's but how great I, school goes you know yeah man it's like the first time i've liked a character crim is just like i like him too yeah he's just i haven't had a lot of time to explore him so i'm excited mm-hmm. to do that um uh, i've got kenny and i are gonna work on trying to get a really really early um campaign setting out for Pathfinder 2 when it actually releases and put it on the DM or drive through RPG. That'd be awesome. Like, yeah, kind of like how Hubris mm-hmm. came out and was pretty, I don't know, well-received by people. I'd like to get yeah. one out. It's called Death in Texas. I'm very excited <laughs> about it. <laughs> it sounds fun. Um, right. I've been playing a lot of old-school RuneScape because uh, it's about the only thing my laptop can handle and I'm too lazy to set my computer up. Nice. Uh, and that is about it. That is like all I've been up to. Lots of writing and lots of school and lots of wanting to do another episode of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been up to the best? And we got to it. Uh, yeah, so we've been getting into the fourth edition campaign that we started last year. And I think we talked about it in some of the earlier episodes of this show. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we kind of broke off for a year and then we started in like be- beginning of August again. And we got through... Uh, six more sessions, I think, and we finished up Kiba on the Shadowfell, which was really fun, and I'll talk more about that later on uh, for some of the encounters. Um, but uh, I think it's going pretty well, and people are, are fairly into it, at least a, a few of the core players anyway, and I have a lot more of the campaign planned out. Uh, Andrew at least really wants to go and do plan our adventures in the after. I know he's dying. So. <laughs> I'm like level five planner adventures. That'll be yeah, something. <laughs> that'll work out. Um, Good luck. So I've got a few more padding adventures in there to get you guys to level 10 or level 11 ish. Um, thankfully there's, there's two sequel adventures to keep on the Shadowfell called Thunderspire Labyrinth and the Pyramid of Shadows. And I think we're going to go through both of those before we get to the astral sea. And that'll put you guys around to level 11 so that you guys can stand a chance in exactly. with all the uh, astral dreadnoughts flying around and stuff. All the craziness so, happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but after that, I've got... I need, I need to plan out a lot more stuff. Um, but I think that'll be fun if we ever get to it. It'll, I'm having fun preparing it anyway. Um, and I just picked up the Waterdeep Dragon Heist book that just came yes. out. Uh, and I really like that. We're going to talk about that later, too. Um, Damn me, Poppy. want to play yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Uh, especially that and then getting into the sequel where they go into Undermountain. I think will will be really cool for the right players, I guess. Um, other than that, I've been working on another 
Doom 2 level that's basically just a replica of my house from back in Iowa, and I'm kind of... Yeah, that, I saw memory. the blueprints of that, and it looked um, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. Uh, it's kind of like a common thing for new Doom mappers. Like, people just make their houses because it's, like, what they know, but I'd never really tried that before, so I thought it would be fun. Uh, and I've been playing the new Spider-Man a bit, and that's one of the better games that came out this year, I think. Uh, Has so, it been fun? I've been looking at random stuff and yeah, it's really similar to the old like Spider-Man 2 and Spider-Man 1 on, on PlayStation 2, where you uh-huh. just swing around the city, and there's a bunch of collectibles, there's a bunch of generic Spider-Man villains. Um, there's some light story stuff in there, but if you like collectibles, this game has a ton of that. <laughs> okay, yes. cool. Um, collect the fun. Yeah, exactly. And you, you keep uh-huh. unlocking more collectibles as you go. Nice. So you know what you should make mm-hmm. is a Doom map that is... Uh, Williamsburg High School. Okay. <laughs> I'd play that. I thought about that too. And there's like, uh, so the story behind like the Columbine shootings is that the guy made. Okay, don't do that then. Yeah, made a map of his <laughs> high school first. So I'd be a little wary of doing that, but I think it Never would mind. be kind of fun to make another real life uh, location like that. Not that I'm gonna do anything like that, but I think yeah, you know, it gets a little hairy. Anyway, I uh, know. <laughs> Yeah, never mind. Yeah. Bringing up the C word, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, so we've been, we've both been really busy. I also moved, so, and... and yeah, you did. Work, with work and stuff. How far away did you move from Only, you like, a few blocks. So I'm still in Salt Lake City. Um, I'm still in the same job and everything. Uh, so less going on than, than you have right now, which has let me, like, concentrate a little bit more on D&D stuff. Yeah. But uh, hopefully we'll be able to do more as we get into the holidays in here. And, oh yeah, for Halloween. sure. Um, but lots of other stuff happened uh, in the world of RPGs uh, while we were while we were busy. Uh, Gen Con happened. I don't even know a few months ago, and lots of stuff was announced. Lots of stuff. There's uh, new stuff was talked about. Um, Goodman Games had like a 50 minute long panel there. I haven't even watched it, but they probably announced a lot of new things. Uh, they're working on Mutant Crawl Classics a lot. It seems like. Um, it seems like their renditions of the first edition adventures keep on the Borderlands. That box set went over really well. I think it sold out. Um, so they're, it seems like they're going to do Isle of Dread next and some other things. Yeah, what I think, let's see. Announced for a new PDF, <laughs> original adventures. Yeah, Isle of Dread, Mutant Mayhem, Minis Line. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't uh, know they were doing miniatures. That's cool. The Cthulhu Alphabet. I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> that is i'm gonna find out right now <laughs> very cool um other than that there was a panel about the the new edition of vampire the masquerade and i know kenneth height worked on that uh quite a bit so it's kind of uh one of his new games uh, and i think that's been pretty well received i haven't looked at it at all um there's a kickstarter for a magical girl anime game called domina magica that looks really cool and uh, lots of people on podcasts have been talking about i really want to try that when it comes out uh, there was a book called Role-Playing Game Studies, A Transmedia Approach, published. Um, the author of that was... should have written, written, written that down. Sebastian de Tierding, and... Or no, it was by... I think it was Sebastian de Tierding did most of the work on it. And then one of my old professors, Jose Zagal who was my game design professor in grad school, uh, also edited that book, and he was on a podcast just recently 
talking about it uh, called Backstory, and uh, I can't remember the the host name of that show, but she interviewed Jose, and they talked a lot about that book and about uh, game studies, and he specializes in like game studies and game research and uh, does some work with game theory, so I bet that would be a really interesting read for both of us, and I haven't oh, picked sure. it up yet, but it's priced like a, a full textbook, so even the yeah. paperback is pretty pricey, but probably worth uh, checking out. Yeah, I should grab a copy of it and look at it. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I'll take out some student loans. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Not that you haven't done that enough, I'm sure. But, <laughs> Let's take out some more. Uh, medical... What's more? What's more student yeah. loans? Yeah, it's just add to the pile, right? Yeah, um, just get it on there. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Colville said on Twitter just recently that the first draft of the um, Strongholds and Followers Kickstarter book uh, is completed, so they're working on editing now. Um, he said the book will probably get a little bit longer before they're finished, but that's really good news because that means that the book is probably going to ship fairly soon in the next few months, uh, which I'm really excited for. Um, oh, baby. I think it's going to be important or helpful for our group because Andrew, at least, is really keen on uh, having followers and hirelings and have, building a guild of his own, so I think those rules will help a lot. There's some stuff mm-hmm. for that in 4th edition, but it's pretty... Thin on Mine, yeah. otherwise, yeah. Um, I read there's a new comic series out called Rick and Morty versus D and D that's written by Pat Rothfuss and Jim Zub that I just recently checked out, and it's more like just kind of getting people excited about Dungeons and Dragons and explaining what it is, at least in the first issue. But I really liked it. Um, so especially if you have people that don't really know what it is but they want to get into it you might be able to say like here just read this and you'll kind of get an idea of what um, what, if, what it's like they go into a little bit of the history of the game like how first edition played and how later editions play um, like Morty is more of an old school guy who thinks like second edition is the best and Rick like comes into their first edition group and goes through like seven characters and has a terrible time uh because he's like brand new <laughs> just learning it so that was pretty cool um, let's see and then I mentioned Waterdeep Dragon Heist is out on Roll20 and I, I bought it on Roll20 and the actual book because if we do play through it on Roll20 it's going to be really nice to have uh, all that, that stuff already in there yeah, yeah where it's already I set joke. up and I was going through okay. just to see how they set up all their mi- macros and all the different pages of tokens and it's really cool um, there's probably a lot of work that goes into that and, I can uh, imagine. But yeah, it's probably good to see all that organization stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mine's just a hot mess whenever <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel about mine, too. But they do, like, some really smart things. Uh, like, they have just a macro that's specific to, like, if you ever want to roll any tokens initiative, you just click on that token and then hit the macro to run for their initiative instead of, like, slash rolling for everyone's initiative individually. Um, yeah. Just how they have they wrote that script and that's pretty simple uh, but I, I really like how they've done that and uh, the new adventure is exciting because it's in a city, it's in Waterdeep which is one of the the more uh, famous cities in the Forgotten Realms and it's completely an urban adventure and there's four possible villains in it, there's not just one that you could play so it has some amount of replayability and each villain um, depending on the villain you pick the adventure takes place at a different time of the year like one of the four seasons so uh, you might face the Xanathar, or uh, there's a, a wizard in his tower, or there's a, a roguish drow guy. That seems pretty mm-hmm. cool. 
Uh, so we'll see what people want to do for that. And that's going to lead into the, the next Waterdeep adventure called Dungeon of the Mad Mage, which comes out in November. And that's completely just a mega dungeon adventure through Undermountain, which is the, the big dungeon below the Yawning Portal. So that's how all of that ties together. And I'm glad that they're finally getting back to Undermountain because they've been teasing that since, like, Tales of the Yawning Portal came out uh, last year, or the year before, whatever. <laughs> so I'm glad they're getting to that. And uh, last couple of news items here. The the Tower of Faces for Dungeon Crawl Classics Adventure uh, just came out. It's a level 6 adventure by Nick Judson, and I'm only talking about it because I have a playtesting credit in it, which is like yeah, baby. first <laughs> You did it. Credit. Yeah. So you did it, baby. I got my name in a book, which is kind of cool. Um, and I barely... Like did any work in that in that session, but I participated in that session and gave them some feedback in a really early version of the adventure. It was like a year before that even came out, and then uh, that was picked up and published because it won a Rodney Award um, at like Gen Con last year or a different convention, I think. Uh, so that was pretty cool to see, and maybe we'll be able to play that sometime and see see how it uh, turned out. But it's yeah, a, if it's different anywhere, yeah, and it's yeah, that'd a, be cool. It's a level six adventure, so it's a higher level adventure than we've played for DCC, I think. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we haven't played for me. <laughs> yeah, we haven't made it that far. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then lastly, there is a Kickstarter right now for Things from the Flood, which is the sequel to Tales from the Loop. Um, it's by the same people, but it's uh, set in the '90s, and it's a little darker and grittier of a of a setting. It's more about teenagers than kids, and the teenagers can can die in this game as opposed to Tales from the Loop where the kids never die. Um, Get me in there. So it's more like your your PG-13 or rated R movie, sci-fi movie as opposed to like a PG movie. Like uh, uh, E.T. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I'm excited to see that come out as well. Yeah, get me in there. I know about the 90s. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So that's pretty much all for the news, I know that was a lot, but uh, we were gone for a lot of it. Oh, I didn't even... I forgot about Metatopia, too. So Metatopia is also happening in November. That's the big RPG, like, playtesting slash design convention that happens in New Jersey every year, and I th- I'm i planning on going this year. I at least got those days off. Nice! So, yeah. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, and uh, registry for, for just people that want to play in, in games is only $20. If you actually want bring your own game and have people play it it's like a hundred dollars i think um mm-hmm. but i'm really excited to to see how that goes and there's are you a, planning on playing uh yeah i don't even know um it's, you I, better if you're going all the way there well it's yeah yeah i'm definitely planning on playing some games i just don't know what i'll be playing in and i'm guessing people don't know until they get there i'm not sure yeah. if people like just get randomly assigned to different games or if they get to choose so i'm gonna have to look into that a bit more but uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing the panels and just seeing all the professional people there. Uh, yeah, that's really awesome. Good. Yeah. So at least we'll have something to talk about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll just interview you. No. <laughs> we'll so see. what did they have to eat there? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was all dice-themed food, probably. The important question. Yes. Uh, Would you call the food dicey? <laughs> hey. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> do you want to talk a bit about why we're not going in-depth on Die, Vecna, Die, this episode. Uh, yeah, because reading the third part is just uh, making my eyes want to bleed. That's kind of the... <laughs> it's, okay, it's the end of an era, right? Die, Vecna, Die. We've got the end of an edition and yeah. lead into the next one. So they wanted to go out on a bang, but it was just, it was like too much of a bang. Oh it's almost God. like when you read 
the Lord of the Rings and you go, oh my gosh, the Cimmerillion, another thing, I'm going to look at this, and then it's just, <laughs> the info dump makes your brain want to explode, is exactly. kind of how I felt <laughs> looking at this. Yeah. <laughs> There's just so, so many stat blocks. <laughs> so many things it's like seriously you could probably cut all of the like actual parts you need to know out like the little dm reading things and probably have like a 10 page adventure instead of 162 pages of just craziness (laughs) but anyway i think of all three i really like the first one i like the The first first part's really cool Part one of this adventure is really, really neat. It's like yeah. something special to me. Because, like, Vecna's not even there, so who cares? You don't really see any of the main bad guys, but just the hopping around yeah. in portals is just, it was just, I don't know, it was something special. The second one is fine. This is a spooky adventure. I don't know. I felt like the <laughs> it, second part had, like, the least amount of direction of the three. Yeah, it was just kind of like, I didn't really know. What, if I was playing, I'd be really. I feel like I'd be really confused as to what yeah, I was supposed to be doing. Because you're almost like, by the time you get to the second part, you're almost like, can't remember what you were doing. <laughs> yeah. But, go uh, anywhere, so. Yeah, this third part, it's, it, okay, here's my criticism of it, is it, you don't really know what Vecna's doing in the background. The DM knows, because it gives you all this, uh, like, exposition about what Vecna's up to, but the players are largely blind for what's actually happening around, because there's no real, like, reason that anyone would know what Vecna's doing so I, I'm kind of like confused as to the delivery of his plan and the how the players are supposed to find it out Yeah, but I mean it comes to fruition in the third part which is long a little <laughs> arduous it's another long part yeah. so we're just going to skip basically our bad, our bad boy Vecna figures out how to get into Sigil the city of doors where gods are not supposed to be uh, and that happens at the end of the second one. So now we're running around the city of doors trying to figure out what the, how the heck we're going to get this guy out of here. He's crashing the party. He's not supposed mm-hmm. to be here. Um, and it all culminates into this final showdown at the armory, question mark? Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's correct. And it's just called the armory. So Yeah, so it's at the armory. And, uh, and sigil. We've got... A bunch of possible things that could happen. Some of them seem a little like I would be beyond mad if some of these things happened. Because <laughs> Nick and I were talking before this, and we're like, if you wanted to play this game, like for real, uh, it's like a full time job. Like yeah. your wife would leave you because you get off work and you'd be like, sorry, honey, I need to go figure out how the heck we're gonna get through this dungeon. Heck, not a sigil because this dungeon's taken five hundred years to finish. Because yeah. I can't imagine how long this would take with five people. Yeah, it'd be insane. Like, even staying on task. <laughs> Which, like, it has never happened ever in the history of d and I've never seen no. a group stay on task. Somebody's always doing something they're not supposed to. But anyway, uh, so one of the options is everyone loses, and if I got to the end of this and lost, I'd probably quit playing D&D. That would be that. <laughs> I'd be pretty pissed. <laughs> I'd be, yeah. It'd be over. Yeah. I uh, I think I told you my favorite one, though, is they're like, if the players suck too bad and they can't beat Vecna, you can just let them play these characters, and then right. they're like, just pick some demigods and let them go to town. Dude, <laughs> <laughs> your consolation dies, very, I guess. I don't know. I get the the feel is very gritty. Like, all, mm. none of them are particularly great. Because even if you win, Vecna, they're like, LOL, Vecna's a god. What are players, what are level 13 players going to yeah. do against him? So, like... I don't know. None of them are very satisfying. 
one ends in a week-long party, but then it's back to business as usual, and it just kind of feels a little s grim. I don't know. But I, I think I would probably change it up. I'd let him have a little bit of fun at the end. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> I don't know. You, get, you killed Vecna, he's gone forever. Or something along those lines. But yeah, that's kind of why we're skipping the little third part is we thought oh man let's do this three-part thing and we had no idea that it was going to be such a drudge yeah <laughs> to get through it <laughs> like i knew it was long but i thought it was going to be a lot more interesting to talk about and yeah I and it wasn't really it, it doesn't really follow what we want you to get out of this show if you're listening yeah to it. we don't want you to just listen to us read an adventure to you and there's not so yeah. much we can say about adventure design in it because it's just it's really just a they just took all the things that you could put in an adventure and jammed it into <laughs> Yeah. Jammed it in there. And so. maybe as a finale to second edition, it was really cool and people liked it at the time. I don't know. I'd have to find somebody that actually played this thing. But I kind of yeah. doubt that there were many people that played through it. So, But you never know. Yeah, and it, it just it doesn't transition well to a modern game, really. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's I just, I think that, uh, I think a modern group would probably find it bit dull yeah you could totally play like convert this to fourth edition or fifth edition but i don't know how enjoyable it would be either uh and there's a lot of save or die traps going on so i don't know what the life expectancy is <laughs> for an I'm not party sure. yeah going through here bring some hirelings yeah bring a lot of hirelings for bring sure some hirelings oh uh, maybe I'll, I'll look at the adventures that lead up to this because this is like the end of a string of adventures uh, mm -hmm. that was the storyline for this edition. So maybe some of those are a little bit more interesting and maybe this would be more satisfying if you knew what happened beforehand. I don't know. So maybe we'll cover that later or I'll look into that and talk about it for next time. But for now, I think we're going to we're gonna call that a wrap on Die Back to Die. You can go pick it up on DriveThru and read it if you want. Uh, I don't think it, it was only like 10 bucks or something. So and it's it's worth looking at the, at least the first part. I would totally steal the first part. That's just the portals going to random craziness, and throw that in. Steal the first part and your don't even like so. you don't you don't even like read it. Just look at the art yeah. is fantastic. Like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. every piece of art in that just is like you could just look at that and get an idea. Because yeah. like the final piece I was talking we were looking at is it's this like. Uh, robed figure over an altar and like a 20 foot projection of Vecna is like sitting over him and it's like it takes place in this like grand cathedral and there's all these robed figures and I'm like you could you don't even need to know what's going on and <laughs> just look at it and take it and yeah. use it somewhere it looks really cool it does there's a very metal pictures going on here so yeah <laughs> no joke <laughs> all right so that's it for die, Vecna Die for now. Maybe we'll get to like a deeper, in-depth uh, adventure review in later episodes. But for now, our main topic for today's episode is going to be encounter design. And that's a really, really broad topic. Uh, do you want oh, yeah. to address what encounter design even means? Okay, so we've, we've talked a lot about adventure design. Obviously, this is an adventure design podcast. And we have a lot of like... Uh, advice about pacing and advice about villains and advice about blah 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 an encounter is the i feel like it's the glue i don't know the, the joints that make up your adventure yeah like it's you've you're basically trying to walk your party along these different roads that lead to an encounter and i think 
as much as that sounds like railroading, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to get a party somewhere. There's that's your job as a DM, really, is mm-hmm. if you want your party to have fun and you have something set up, it's okay to figure out a way to get them there. You don't need to say you can only go this way, but you might right. make every road point to encounter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and actually, when I, I was waiting for Nick uh, at the beginning, I was just watching this thing about. Uh, um, I think I was watching something about a Majora's Mask remake or somebody was like criticizing it. And they brought up this thing that I've never heard of called the Nintendo Design Principle, uh, which is that you should find your... And this is the way that all Nintendo games are designed. They start with like the movement and the abilities that a character has, and then they build the world around it to okay. um, make the game more fun. So they... So, like, in the example of, like, Mario 64, you've got, like, a long jump and a triple jump and a backflip and a you can crawl and blah, blah, blah. So they come up with all of that, and then they build progressively more difficult ways to use those, um, like, abilities to get through right. something. And I think if you... This really goes more towards homebrewing, but if you're homebrewing, it's really good to figure out what your players can do. Um, yes. That's my yeah. biggest advice. Learn all their skills... And just ask for like a copy of their character sheet. Mm-hmm. Get all their skills, get all their spells, get all their everything, so that no one feels you worthless. I really recommend that for a wizard because, like, nothing <laughs> sucks more than being a wizard with a bunch of spells that are <laughs> like garbage and never work. Yeah, I've had that happen so many times. Mm-hmm. But um, that's kind of where we're going. That's where we want to come at with encounters. Is mm. these are like the things that you're players remember like they're the like interesting boss fights they're the weird little room that they accidentally happen upon and they're like social encounters too they're like Mm -hmm. good moral decisions that they might have to make one way or another but anyway that's where we're coming from with encounters exactly uh i like that bit about nintendo um because sometimes we don't think we think of like D&D especially is more of a, a narrative focused game but if you want it to be interesting for your players you do need to like address what their characters can do and not, not just think about your story in a box and just put your players in it because they might not have a good time if they can't interact with it very well uh, and especially as they level up you have to look at like okay what are these characters building towards what are their goals um, what cool new abilities do they want next or what are, what are they aiming to get um, in the next few levels and plan around that and uh, if you do that your your campaign's going to be way stronger um, and that that comes from your own homebrew material and that can be that can include like you looking at uh, some pre-made adventures and seeing which ones would be good for your group as well and kind of tailoring them more to to meet your group's standards um, so yeah that'll be good to think about as we talk about this more uh, I like that you wrote there's more, they're more than just a fight. Uh, they need something important in them to, to make the encounter stand out. They're not just... Uh, I mean, they can be a group of random monsters, but they they might be randomly chosen monsters uh, that, are, that are designed by you, or uh, they might be monsters that come off of a random encounter table, which we can also talk about. Um, I was looking through a bunch of my Dungeon Master guides and the Game Master Guide for Pathfinder to try and find some advice about this topic, because I haven't heard a lot of people talk about it, even though it's so important. Um, since we're playing mainly 4th edition right now, I looked at the 4th ed Dungeon Master's Guide, and it said, Building an encounter is a matter of choosing threats appropriate to the characters and combining them in interesting and challenging ways. Uh, which is, you know, pretty rela- related to the Nintendo design thing. 
Um, I think it's specific to fourth edition in that uh, they want you to build balanced encounters around the party, and that's kind of a fourth edition design philosophy. Like every encounter yes. should be balanced. Uh, whereas if you look at older editions, or even sometimes in fifth edition, they might say, "Eh, you can throw a balance out the window as long as it's fun," or the players have options other than killing the monsters. Mm-hmm. If playing fourth edition, the players are kind of expecting to be able to kill the monsters. So, um, which I I like one. I kind of like that. I kind of don't like yeah. that. Um, I think my criticism with fourth edition, which I I like fourth edition. I didn't originally because I was a lame nerd who <laughs> thought third three point five was the only way. So I went Pathfinder, <laughs> and I bought fourth edition. And I was like, this isn't what I wanted. Yeah, I so I got mad. But no, it's like who cares? It's not me. Even I didn't even make it. <laughs> But anyway, uh, I kind of feel like it's nice to have everything be balanced, but I like getting the crap kicked out of me and not having to fight, or like mm-hmm. just trouncing some nerds. Like I like having that option yeah. <laughs> either way. Like it's kind of fun to roll really well on a random encounter table, and you get like some like peons, and then you like feel really cool as you kick them around. Like, yeah. but then I, it kind of stinks. Like when you're like you think you did a lot of damage, like you think you did, you did like forty damage, and you only brought somebody to half health, and you're like, in any other circumstance, forty damage, they would have like exploded into a cloud of red mist. <laughs> so that's, but I, I still find it fun. Like it's a fun game to play, especially since we're playing it in a roll twenty setting. It's kind of fun to yeah. play like this tactical game with everyone, where like it's more about like making good choices and less about just. I don't know. It's not. It is story driven because you're doing a good job making sure that everyone has a good <laughs> character and everything. But um, I think design wise, I kind of balance. Kind of, I don't lean towards wanting a balanced game all the time. I lean towards wanting to have a chaotic kind of like almost feels like. Yeah. Here's the best example I can think of: Ocarina of Time. You first walk out of the, whatever it's called. Kakariko, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kakariko Forest, and you if you go straight, you'll head on to Hyrule. You might have to fight some uh, Stalfos, like at night, some skeleton people. But you'll be fine. But if you go left, there will be like that tea hat thing that like chases you and flies through the air. <laughs> and, just and, you don't, you, and it will kill you. <laughs> like, you, you will die. Yeah. Unless you run for your life, and it will just chase you around. I like that more, because it's like it feels more organic, like, and then you come back and you kick its butt, and then exactly. you win. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm more towards that design philosophy, but I get, I get wanting to have a balanced encounter because it makes more sense in like the medium we're playing, which is online. Yeah, and especially with a tactical tactical game where uh, your build choices and your your move choices every turn are are really important, and that's kind of like the entire that's kind of the focus of this edition, I guess. But I agree. Um, That's how Nintendo went about with Breath of the Wild too, and people really love that game because you can go anywhere right from the like pretty much right from the start after the first couple hours. And if you go the wrong direction, you might just get destroyed. And you can try to survive in an area that's extremely hostile for a low-level Link, but uh, like there's also like an easier path that you can go that the game kind of steers you towards, but it never forces you to go somewhere that you don't want to. Uh, the speedruns of that game, they go straight to Ganon's castle at the very beginning of the game and beat him with, like, three hearts. So it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, me too. I I like I like the idea of not having any barriers other than your own abilities, basically. That's, like, 
yeah kind of the, where i come from i get that that's not for everyone like that's not for yeah. a lot of people but but i mean the games that we've talked a lot about on this podcast like dcc that's kind of uh the flavor that they're going for and even in uh uh witches of the coast's newest adventures like tomb of annihilation and uh dragon heist uh i'd seen i think they're steering more towards that style as well where tomb of annihilation was just a giant sad box of really deadly shit and uh dragon heist um these villains these possible villains that you might face and you might fight the xanathar which is like a 15th level beholder so level five characters are going to have no chance against it and they actually well i haven't looked at the actual encounter itself yet but there's no way they're going to be able to destroy the thing by the end of the adventure so at the very end they're going to have to find a way to talk their way out of it or or some other come up with some other clever way to uh, conquer the adventure which i think is more interesting than just a straight up combat encounter and more because that's what in a video game that might be the only option because that's just the limits of like your technical considerations when you're making a game but for a role-playing game we can do anything so maybe we can explore that a little bit more anyway yeah exactly (laughs) um the dmg talks about building encounters using uh, experience point budgets, which is pretty common. Uh, they talk about also throwing in skill challenges and puzzles um, and some deadly trap encounters, and they're not just combat encounters. Um, they might be social interactions, like you said. Uh, I'm just going to go quickly over what a couple other Dungeon Masters guides had to say about this. The 5th edition book says that encounters should be fun for the players, uh, not a burden for the Dungeon Master to run, and they should be a straightforward. there should be a straightforward objective or a and or a connection to the campaign that builds on preceding encounters while foreshadowing encounters later on in the adventure, which I think is really important to keep in mind because it's really easy just to throw in some encounters that seem cool but don't really have a way, like don't connect in any way to the rest of the adventure or the campaign. Um, and they don't have to be that important, but they should like at least fit the setting. Uh, they shouldn't be the octopus in a cave thing that we talked about, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> back when. Uh, and then the second edition Dungeon Master's Guide actually has this, a really interesting section about this. Probably has the most extensive section about encounter design that I found. Maybe just because it's like really rules heavy. But uh, they have this system called uh, Keys and Triggers. And a key is just like a generic list of all the encounters in a room or a set of rooms that you would see written in an adventure if you've ever read an adventure. Like, uh, they'll go through and list all the rooms where it says, like, main chamber, and this is what's all in the main chamber. Then sleeping chamber, this is what's here. Treasure room, this is what's here. And the characters will just interact with things that they can see. And then triggers are, like, timed events or things that will happen due to something else happening. And you can write your encounters that way. And it's probably good to use a mix of both unless you're doing, like, just a straight-up dungeon crawl. But even in one of those, you could be like, well, in this room, after 10 seconds after a PC steps into the room, a bomb goes off. So you have to, like, count for ten rounds or something. Um, Mm -hmm. So I thought that was cool. Uh, I might look into that more. Um, I I think I have a good example of that from... It's actually from a game... When you, uh, Brett, and Andrew played 5th edition, and I was DMing, you were in, like, this cave, and there was these sleeping ogres. And you guys uh, fought them and killed them. Which wasn't what I was intending, but you did it anyway. It's fine. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I think oh, you were a little right. higher level than I, I thought. That. But So you guys fought and killed these ogres, but 
later on there was actually so that was an that was an encounter that was a possible encounter there but there was a trigger later where if you fell in a trap mm-hmm. there was an alarm rune at the bottom of it that would wake them up because they were oh. under a sleep spell and they were put there by someone to guard people who were coming in and then the trigger for the alarm spell was to wake them up and they were going to come find they were going to come over to the alarm while mm-hmm. whoever was in the pit was down there so that's kind of an example of an encounter the first part being an encounter that you could have waking up these ogres and fighting them or a trigger which brings on the past encounter and that kind of like i don't know that's where i went immediately when you were talking about that yeah that kind of makes your dungeon seem more uh feel more real because rooms are interacting with other rooms and monsters aren't just uh stuck in their one location it's not like a an mmo where mobs just like Stick to so back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> stick to their one area, and they don't interact with anything else. Um, so that's important to keep in mind too. And you can totally write that into your adventure too. In uh, um, the first adventure in Tales of the Yawning Portal, it's uh, Sunless Citadel. They do a good job of talking about how the kobolds and goblins, um, like what their culture is and how they react to different things happening in the dungeon and how they like team up or organize around specific rooms um so they're not just like static enemies so i thought that was cool um yeah what else should we say about encounter design here uh before we get into more specific examples well you bring up a the point of them like not being static is Mm -hmm. there's a lot of monsters that i feel like go overlooked um the one that i have in mind right now is a shambling mound um, which right. is like this vegetation monster that walks around and eats dungeon moss and stuff. <laughs> like those are the things that I feel like you can just throw that into any dungeon because a dungeon is like a. I think of a dungeon almost as like a dead being. Like if you were to look at mm. a dungeon, it would be like a carcass. So what comes to carcasses? There's flies and maggots and scavengers. <laughs> so your dungeon should be filled with low level things that could cause a problem like right if you're in a dungeon full of zombies there's gonna probably be carrion crawlers because they're like oh boy tons of food we're gonna go wherever <laughs> the food's at oh, just like little things like that there's there and they're in the dmg or no mm-hmm. they're in the monster manual just ready to be used and i feel like they kind of go overlooked but like yeah a cool encounter would be like a really easy encounter with something and then all of a sudden like eight carrion crawlers come busting in because you <laughs> killed a bunch of guys and now the carrion crawlers are like oh boy oh i like that <laughs> let's get in here so there's yeah. this neutral third party that's trying to kill you and who you're fighting so maybe you and who you're fighting team up and then you try to like and then they try to like backstab you or like something ha- mm-hmm. like there's just all sorts of craziness that can happen in a dungeon because it's a living breathing thing it needs to be like there needs there's denizens in it it's not just right. It's not like when you go into like a dungeon in, I don't know, like an Elder Scrolls game, and this room's got two bandits. <laughs> that room has a rat in it. <laughs> like there's, there needs to be some breath to it. Yeah, and yeah some the, reason. The ecology is super important. Uh, the theme of the dungeon, like where it is in your setting, um, it might be like a Zelda dungeon where this is the volcano dungeon. So every monster is made of lava and uh, they interact in different ways that because they're on fire constantly. Uh, yeah, I and if you go to like a donjon 
Yeah, um, yeah. You can set up dungeon themes, and there'll be like an undead dungeon, and it'll be full mm-hmm. of zombies, and they'll have a fire dungeon that's full of those. Oh, I can't remember their name. Those dwarves that are on fire. Right. <laughs> His names escaped me. <laughs> me too. Uh, I think you brought up a good point about the monster manual too, because I think that's probably one of the best places for inspiration for encounter design. Um, just reading through it, because usually along with the stat blocks, they'll also tell you where these monsters are commonly found, what they, what their behavior is like, and what other monsters, especially in the fourth edition dungeon or monster manual, they talk about like encounter groups and like uh, what common leader monsters are for for groups of minions. Um, so you can throw together groups really easily and you can plan those around some environmental things. And we haven't talked too much about uh, like environmental hazards around the monsters, but I think that's what really makes an encounter more interesting is uh, the not like the room or the setting that your the encounter takes place in. Um, you might be in like a, a poisonous gas chamber or you might be in a room with a bunch of pits or the walls might be closing as you're fighting these monsters at the same time. Just anything like that that you can throw in, or even just like some random terrain that you throw in there to give the characters some cover or th- something to fight around. Um, you'll see in like taverns that there's always tables and chairs and kegs. At least give the party something to interact with other than just the monsters and themselves so it doesn't look like an empty room that's um, going to accomplish a lot of things at the same time. So, uh, next I want to talk about... That that point kind of... I have something later on about... Because you had some specific examples, and I Mm -hmm. couldn't think of any. And a lot of the ones... A lot of my favorite ones we've already touched on in previous episodes. So I was thinking of encounters that I've, like... That I've ran that were based on other things. And you talked about environments being interesting. And one of... I, I like to think of, like, my favorite fights from video games and turn those into D&D encounters. Yeah. So one of my favorite ones is, like, the later Bowser fights in Super Mario 64 where when he, like, jumps and the the whole platform you're on goes up in the air and you have to sprint up the platform so that you don't fall off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had a, I had this adventure where they were in these mines full of these rocks that floated, and they found this staff that made the rocks like stay in place so you could, like, hop across them and do puzzles like that. Um, and the final fight was against like a like a young red dragon over this big <laughs> chamber of lava on a floating rock that had <laughs> these similar mechanics to the staff that they found. And part of it was if you wanted, you needed to pull the dragon down using like the staff's gravitational like spell or whatever. Mm-hmm. But to do that, you needed to suck some of the energy out of one of these four like spires that were on the thing on the where the platform everyone was standing. So throughout the adventure, like or throughout the encounter, people are, like, sucking the energy out of the spire, and it's tipping the whole spire, and everyone's having to, like, hang on for dear life as they, <laughs> like, try to aim at the dragon and wait for the thing to recharge. So, like, the whole, like, platform they're on is about to tip them over into lava, so you have to be careful which ones you're using, and you're fighting a dragon, and it's just, like, a lot of stuff going on all at once. And it sounds overwhelming, but that's, like, what players, like, is, like... It needs to be, like, constant danger. Yeah. Like, all the time in some encounters. Sometimes it needs to be kind of a pushover so that they feel powerful, but there's something about, like, surviving, like, a mm-hmm. near-death experience that, like, makes the game feel a little bit more alive. 
Yeah, and while you're running, you can kind of uh, fudge some numbers to make it seem more dramatic if your design yeah. didn't work out like, as you intended. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> yeah, fudge away. Um, yeah, and uh, back in the day when 4th edition first came out, I remember, I think it was David Noonan, he would talk about how every round, like every in every round of the encounter, something should change. It shouldn't just be like the same thing over and over and over. Um, because if something changes from round to round, then it'll feel more exciting and uh, the players will actually have to pay attention to what's going on instead of just like every round they're like I hit the guy I hit the guy (laughs) and he hits me and like um, that gets boring pretty quickly and uh, one of my critiques about 4th edition right now is that some of the combat goes really long and can get kind of monotonous Uh, so we're kind of working to figure out a way to to make it more exciting or not to make it go faster but uh I don't know, introduce some more dynamic elements, I guess. So that'll be something that I work on as we go through the campaign. Yeah, um, for sure. But I do want to talk about one of more one of the more interesting encounters in Keep on the Shadowfell, which uh, in the book is called the Shadow Rift in Area 19. It's the last encounter in the book, um, so it's like the big boss fight. And uh, at the end of this adventure, the players are going through this ruined castle keep thing, they are looking for this evil cultist guy named Calarel, who is trying to summon Orcus. And of course, he's in the bottom of the dungeon. He's he's at the Shadow Rift, which is this portal with this seething black tentacle mass uh, from another from the Shadowfell that's trying to creep into our world and release Orcus into the the campaign proper. Um, and the the players get down to this room by descending through this, uh, there's like a hole in the ceiling with blood dripping down these chains uh, and the blood is dripping down from the the floor above about like 50 feet up and the players have to descend on these chains and Calarel is on the lower floor, there's like this big statue of Orcus, there's a bunch of uh, skeletons around, there's a white that's pretty nasty um, he has some, he can reanimate stuff um, there is a, a pit for some reason in the east side there's a like uh, circle of power for that power like gives health to Calarel or like any undead that are sitting in the the rune circle, um, and the portal thing uh, is actually pretty funny because it acts like a hazard even though the players might think it's a monster, um, but it can't be killed or really harmed in any way. It just uh, reaches out and grabs people and tries to drag them towards it while it's also doing damage. Uh, so that was a really fun encounter to play out. And again, it went kind of long, but I think the players liked it because there was a lot of things happening at once. Um, the the white has this... Uh, I think it's the white or one of the other monsters has an ability where it pushes a bunch of people at once. Um, Calarel is pretty interesting. He has a rod of ruin that does a bunch of damage if he hits you. He has a uh, decaying ray that he can shoot from it. Um, he can steal healing surges from people he can Ooh, that's mean. yeah <laughs> uh he can make you have ongoing necrotic damage and um he can heal a bunch of the undead around him uh with temporary hit points so i thought that was one of the better encounters in in the adventure and it's something maybe to look at if you're looking for like a good base level encounters design and i think this adve- this adventure is totally free if you just search keep on the Shadowfell because it was one of the first adventures they put out for 4th edition. So uh, you can get the quick start rules for the game, or you can just look at this encounter. Um, 
Do you have any other specific examples of uh, encounters you want to talk about? Um, the only other one I had on here was I had like a introductory campaign I ran for a lot of people for a long time because I was playing with a lot of new people. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it was just teaching them mechanics and stuff. But I wanted them to get used to like thinking outside the box when it came to boss fights. So mm. I never played Gears of War, but I watched somebody play it once. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, there's like, I think it was called The Behemoth. Is that a? Did you ever play that game? Uh, not really, but that sounds okay. familiar. I think. Yeah, yeah, there's like something called the Behemoth, which is like this—you can't kill it. You just like shoot at it like mm-hmm. crazy and try to get it to follow you as it like is barreling through this uh, building you're in. But mm-hmm. um, I kind of had an idea where you are fighting this sorcerer who has this like reanimated like skeletal snake that's gigantic, and he's Ooh. got a force field on him. So if a player goes up and tries to hit him or like shoots a bow or anything at him, it just does no damage. But there's a stipulation in the notes that I had that says if they can do a combined X amount of damage in one round, it'll pop for a little bit of time so that you can actually hit them. Or if they can find a way to coax this giant snake into like ramming into it somehow, then it will also hit them. And I just remember like watching people be really frustrated, and then once they figured it out, they were so like pumped <laughs> that they figured yeah. out the puzzle. So I think that I'm a big fan of puzzle fights. Those are like yeah. my favorite thing ever, where it's not just like a sack of hit points that you're smacking around. Um, it's like there's a clear weakness that's exploitable, and it takes experimentation to find it. And once you find it, it's a repeatable thing you can do. Mm-hmm. But until then, the fight almost seems like you're just constantly fighting waves of little guys that just keep coming back until <laughs> you do the right thing. Um, and that kind of led me to think about the fight in Demon Souls where, spoiler alert, <laughs> you just keep fighting this boss because after you beat it, you leave and come back and she's not dead because the yeah. boss is actually a puppet master that's like above. Mm-hmm. And I... I, I, that fight sticks in my head so much because I'm like, yeah. I remember just like being so angry <laughs> I do this. and then when you find it, you're like you feel like you feel like you bested the game designers even though your job as a game designer is to be bested, so that's kind of like my design <laughs> philosophy is you want your players to think that they're smarter than you are even though you're like yeah. getting a game with their success in mind you want that you want them to be not so frustrated they want to quit but so frustrated that they want to beat you (laughs) (laughs) yeah you definitely want them to be invested in the fight and not to like you can frustrate them a little bit or make them feel like oh we can't do anything like we have to we have to really think hard about this but uh there comes a point where um they can't feel like so frustrated that they just quit because then everybody loses if if they're if you're not playing D&D anymore um but I think you're I just do. playing being mad in a certain point. Exactly. <laughs> and that can happen sometimes in D&D through no one's fault, really. Uh, just um, That's just how the game goes sometimes. Uh, but that encounter in Demon's Souls uh, with the Maiden in Black, uh, that's what I was thinking of, too. And uh, I, I like that. Um, I like this idea of stealing encounters from other games and uh, other media to put into D&D because... Uh, like you said, encounters are like the the individual parts of your of your adventure, and you kind of slot them together and piece them together. So you can just have them. You can just write out encounters and not really know what when you're going to use them later. But 
you might know the right time to insert them. And if the party is just wandering randomly or you need some random encounters, you can pull those out at any time. So uh, that's nice to have in your toolbox. And uh, yeah, you could totally do something like the Maiden in Black in D&D and have like some worshiper guys uh, far off in a different room. Uh, one hit point just narrates up the it. boss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that'd be pretty cool. You know, I think I I'm thinking on it right now, you were talking about having like encounters that kind of in the fifth edition design philosophy, having mm-hmm. like foreshadowing encounters. Yeah. Um, I really like, uh, and I talk about it all the time because it, it's just one of the best things I've read as far as a resource <laughs> goes. But Hubris has these um, encounter tables that are like some of my favorite things just to read. <laughs> it's like a hundred possibilities, and there's one for each like area but they all tell a story randomly they yeah. it's not a it's it's almost like a stream of consciousness story where it's just kind of this like you pick it up piece by piece as you go but each each area has like there's people mining and the stuff they're mining is making them go crazy is the story mm-hmm. so maybe you design a dungeon somewhere in there about finding the source of what's making people crazy but all the encounters that you have are something to do with people mining something to do with people going crazy and they're all random and you don't have to do any of them you could do all of them but they all have a theme to them and if you're trying to figure out how to get some random encounter tables put together i highly recommend looking at those because they are so deep and they're a sentence long it's like (laughs) you find three prospectors eating another guy <laughs> that's like that's the encounter so it's like oh geez what's there's so much that could be I happening like right here yeah, yeah, so I I recommend picking that up and looking at it if you're just trying to do random encounter right. tables and you don't want it to just be yeah. you fight wolves. <laughs> yeah, that and the Tome of Adventure Adventure Design oh, are probably yeah. really good um, for just uh, inspiration. So uh, yeah, I I think that's uh, we covered encounters design pretty deeply. We could go and we could go into that way more. And uh, we're obviously talking about this from the perspective of like D&D and similar types of games and other games um, this might be really different you might have to think about um, how the players are going to interact with certain characters or in certain situations that never come up in D&D or very rarely or there's probably not even rules for them in D&D where there might be in uh, other more story based or narrative focused games or even in games more like where in Feng Shui 2 where it's more uh, cinematic and the players are more encouraged to describe the cool things that they're doing and they can do more cool moves. So uh, this is really, uh, I guess, a a crash course or just a really um, loose kind of surface level overview of encounter design that maybe we'll get deeper into later on. Um, But uh, anything else you want to say about that before we move to the outro? No, we should uh, definitely... We should do like some encounter design uh-huh. on the show, uh-huh. kind of like we did. We did an adventure design. It'd be cool to think of a cool encounter yeah. we could. Definitely. Uh, yeah, that would be. I think that would be fun. We could make like five <laughs> encounters or something like that. Yeah. Five That's interesting encounters that you can steal, but if we find <laughs> out, who we're coming for you. That's right. You owe us. Um. <laughs> All right, uh, so we could maybe do that for next time. Any other ideas for next time that you had, 
Oh, no, that'd be really fun, yeah. though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's the thing. Email us your favorite boss fights. Yeah, slash that'd be cool. Weird encounters that you've ever had in a game. Like a weird Fallout encounter you've had with a random NPC yeah, or something. Yeah. And we'll try to think of a cool way to trans transpose it into D&D. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think we got any feedback for last time. I checked the iTunes and the email and the SoundCloud. So those are the main ways to reach us. But uh, if you would like to contact us or leave us a review, you can get at us um, at Moa Podcast on Twitter or mastersofadventure at gmail.com. And we're Masters of Adventure on SoundCloud and iTunes and probably some other podcatchers, too. I just haven't checked. Um, I know we're <laughs> on uh, the one that I use, which is Podcast Addict. Um, so we're probably on some other platforms too uh, but we'd really appreciate any feedback you'd like to give us, you can give us a review and get at us with your picks for favorite boss fights or favorite encounters from, from anything really yeah, we'll put up something, we should we'll put that out on Twitter, maybe we should start putting these questions on Twitter so that <laughs> That's a at, good least, idea. at least two people will respond <laughs> yeah, and uh, I know I, I haven't uh, been on the MOA podcast Twitter at all for the last six months since we haven't come out with a new episode, but I'll try and be more active on there, and I'll, I'll definitely post about it. Um, I'm at NC Burnham on Twitter, and uh, what are you on Twitter now? I think you I think I'm at Tom Lichty, because yeah. I sold out. <laughs> I'm going back. No more terminating. Oh. No, I'm, t- I'm, I'm getting it back right now. <laughs> right now it's Tom Lichty, waiting for next week when it's back there to nominating. I like it. Because um, you know what? Don't care. That <laughs> job. I changed it because I thought I was applying. I was applying for a job oh, that asked right. for my yeah. Twitter handle, and I wanted it to be a little bit more professional. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need that. Tom, Never play speak. for a job that makes you change who you are. That's, That's right. It's <laughs> a good life lesson. Life <laughs> advice from Tom. <laughs> Into it. Yeah. So you guys can contact us on there as well. Um, anything you want to? Anything else you want to leave our listeners before we sign off here? Uh, no, just look out for that on... I, actually, yeah, <laughs> who's been visiting our Facebook page once a week? Someone. <laughs> keep getting a thing that goes, yeah, someone not me. Masters of Adventure. Uh, I'm like, oh, what? I haven't even been on there. <laughs> yeah, I haven't done anything with the Facebook group either. Um, Probably like so. my grandma or something. Yeah. <laughs> you can do it, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I love the podcast. I have no idea what's going on. But, I love... Uh, but you love it, so I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Graham. Nice. <laughs> yeah, um, and we'll try to get a new episode out, new episode out real soon. Uh, at least within the next within the next couple months, I think uh, we'll both be really busy. But we can at least try to do that. Uh, yeah, I think sooner. we can. I think I can try to shoot for once a month for sure. Nice for now. That'll be awesome. If not more, we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. All right, that's it for us. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>